Welcome to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast, a podcast all about leadership, change, and personal growth. The goal? To help you lead like never before in your church or in your business. And now, your host, Carrie Newhoff. Well, hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 126 of the podcast. My name is Kerry Newhoff, and I hope our time together today helps you lead like never before. Man, I'm excited to have my guest today, Mike Bonham. He has written a book that, um, if you're in ministry, you probably heard of. I know I heard of it a decade ago when it came out. It was called Leading from the Second Chair, and he's got a brand new book called Thriving from the Second Chair. And why I wanted to talk to Mike is the question I get over and over and over and over again from so many of you is, okay, I'm a leader, but I'm not the senior leader. Like, what do I do to lead well from from that place? And if you think about it, mathematically, it makes sense that that's a, a question that gets asked a lot because there are way more non-senior leaders than senior leaders. And so Mike has had a lot of experience in that, also an awful lot of insight. So I'm really enjoying my conversation. And also we're going to turn it again from a different angle because Clay Scroggins has a book about leading um, when you're not in charge. And I'm going to talk to Clay about that later this year as well. So really exciting. Watch for that book. It's not out yet, but Mike's is. It's called Thriving from the Second Chair. He's my guest. And I want to tell you about a couple of things today. First of all, if you're a Canadian church leader and you have not yet registered for the Canadian Church Leaders Conference, what is up with that? You need to get in on this because you can still get early bird pricing for a couple more days, we are gathering in June at Connexus Church. It's going to be incredible. Mark Clark from Village Church, James Mallon from Halifax, Nova Scotia, a lot of the Connexus crew, Rich Birch, myself. We're going to be pouring into you for three days, June 8th through 10th at Connexus Church north of Toronto, the first ever Canadian Church Leaders Conference. Make sure you register while you can still get super early bird pricing, which uh, disappears in a few days. So go to CanadianChurchLeadersConference.com. And we will have uh, all the details there for you. You can register you and your team, and we would love to see you then. Also, you guys have heard me talk a lot about EA Help over the last year, and they're, they're a company I'm so grateful for. Well, do you know that they have completely rebranded, and they are now Belay Solutions? So Belay, you can find them at belaysolutions.com, B-E-L-A-Y. And what they've done is they brought EA Help and some of their other organizations together under one company. And... They're growing organizations virtually. I'll tell you, I was uh, on one of my trips last fall and I saw these office towers going up and I just thought, wonder how much longer people are going to primarily work that way. You know that the, the team that puts this podcast together, my blog together and, and the other things that I do, they're all virtual, right? Like I'm, I'm doing this literally out of my house. And when you think about hiring options for the future, I want you to think virtually because I think that's where the future is going. And Belay has helped. Entree uh, Leadership, if you listen to that podcast, Entrepreneur, uh, that organization, that magazine, Inc. 500, Entrepreneur on Fire, another podcast I listen to, Michael Hyatt, and so many more, and lots in the church space. And believe it or not, it's affordable solutions for you. My assistant comes through Belay. So if you're looking to grow your team or grow your organization, think virtual and go to belaysolutions.com. And also speaking of virtual solutions, and this is this is what I love. I mean, we're podcasting. This wasn't even around 10 years ago or got launched like 10 years ago. If you think about training up your church, how do you do that? Go to trainedup.org. Scott Magdalene and the people there have developed a really innovative approach to training your volunteers. You do it but you do it virtually because we've all struggled with the, hey, everybody come out Saturday morning, give up three hours, we'll train you. 
and not everybody shows up. Or, you know, maybe you can only do in three hours a little bit of training and you're like, man, I needed to cover eight more points. Well, you can cover everything you need to cover. And basically they do an online course together and you can see which of your volunteers did it and which didn't. I mean, it's powerful. So visit another one of our partners on the podcast today, trainedup.org. Do yourself a favor and want to thank Belay Solutions and also Trained Up uh, for all their help. So belaysolutions.com, trainedup.org will help you grow your businesses virtually. Hey, I am so excited to sit down and talk with Mike about leading from the second chair. So this is not just for second chair leaders, okay? This is also for senior leaders who are like, I don't understand my team and why are they? Hey, one of the best things you can do is try to see things from somebody else's point of view. So without further ado, let's jump right into my conversation with Mike Bonham. Well, hey, Mike. Welcome to the podcast. Really glad to have you. Thanks a lot, Carrie. I'm really glad to be here. Yeah. Hey, tell uh, just listeners a little bit of background in your corporate and church experience, uh, how you got started, and why you're passionate about leading and even thriving from the second chair. Sure, glad to. So uh, I had an engineering degree way back and uh, didn't do that for long at all. Went back to school and got an MBA and started off a business career doing consulting with large corporations, helping them with strategy and organizational issues, uh, and really enjoyed doing that. Uh, Along the way, I found out that I could use some of the same consulting skills with churches and with ministries. I had a friend who was a denominational leader, and uh, he asked me to help him out thinking through some strategic issues in his role, and then he pulled me in to start helping some churches. And so I kind of dabbled in that on the side for a number of years Mm -hmm. while I continued to work in the corporate world. And then at a pretty major turning point in my life, uh, God showed me a different direction and opened the door for me to go on staff at the church that we were members of at the time, a church called West University Baptist in Houston. And I served there for 11 years in a role that became an executive pastor role. Right. And uh, those would have been earlier days for executive pastors, right? Yeah, I started uh, that in 2001. Uh, and mm-hmm. so there were definitely you know, folks like Dan Ryland, uh, Greg Hawkins, and there were certainly others who were in executive pastor roles, but the terminology was not very common at all back then. Yeah, we'll talk about that a little bit later. Hey, what kind of engineering did you do? Chemical engineering. Woo, that's great. Yeah, so yeah. was that like in the oil and gas industry? Or yeah, I, I, I worked okay. at, a, at a refinery for a couple of years before going back to school for the MBA. That is so beyond my pay grade. I like uh, the <laughs> chemistry. I think I my claim to fame is in grade 12 in final year chemistry, I got 27%. It was horrible. It was horrible. I remember, I don't know. Anyway, that's another story. So I dropped the course before I could finish it. So it's like I can't have that on my transcript. It was mostly due to not paying attention, fooling around and being stupid. But anyway, that's life. So that that eliminated chemical engineering for me. I have a cousin (laughs) who does it, though. So this is probably the number one question I get asked is from people who listen to the show readers who read my blog, people at conferences, it's like, look, I'm not the senior leader, but you know, I have vision, I have passion, and I want to lead yeah. up. It's the number one question. We get it all the time. So I've written blog posts on it. I included it, you know, an answer in one of my books. Uh, Craig Grishel has some amazing stuff on that. He just released two podcasts about it. We'll link to that in the show notes. But uh, you were one of the first people to really, I think, break ground on it. You're leading from the second chair book, which is over a decade old now. I mean, made waves when it came out. I don't know how many copies it sold, but it has like huge influence in the church. A lot of people know about it. Give us your nutshell answer, and then we're going to drill down in great detail. But 
how do you lead up well? Um, and then we're going to talk about being in that second chair. But some of the listeners to this, you know, you are senior leaders. We'll deal with that too. But you're in the third chair, the fourth chair. You're a volunteer and you're like, I can't even get my senior leader's brain. So uh, tell me tell me what you would say to them. Well, yeah, thanks, Carrie. When, when we wrote that earlier book, uh, it really came out of a sense that there just were not resources available for people in the second chair role. There were lots of leadership resources, um, but they all tended to have that first chair perspective. And so we want to try to to deal with the unique leadership issues when you're not the first chair leader, when you're not the lead leader. Uh, and, And so leading up well is a huge part of that, as you just said. It starts with building trust with whoever your boss is, um, and it, because you can't lead up if you if that first chair leader doesn't trust you. Okay, so what does that mean? What does trust mean? Like, like explain that. What's your definition? Yeah, I mean, tr- trust is a huge word, isn't it? It means yeah, so yeah. many different things. Yeah, I'm like, hey, I haven't stolen anything. He trusts me, so do this. That that's not exactly. What you're talking and, about. and that yeah, I mean, that's that's where we often stop when we talk about trust. As well, you know, I did what I was asked to do, or I didn't steal anything, or yeah. I've never lied to you, right? And so, so you should trust me. I but, showed up on time. Do do yeah. whatever I tell you to do. Why, what do you mean? Because I, I agree with you. It's much bigger than that. But when you say trust, just so it's crystal clear in leaders' minds, what does that mean? I think it means it means a couple of different things. One is uh, a high degree of loyalty. Uh, that The leader knows that uh, what I would say, so if, if, let's talk about senior pastors and I'm executive pastor, right? Senior pastor knows that what I would say when the senior pastor is not in the room is not any different than what I would say when the senior pastor is in the room. I'm not going to do Bingo. something that that directly or indirectly and even in subtle ways is going to undermine that senior pastor. And so that's a huge part of it. I think the other part of the definition is, uh, and this one really takes time to get to, but it's the ability to uh, anticipate what your senior pastor would want or what that first chair leader would want and to be able to act accordingly. Uh, and, and so, you know, the example I give a lot of times is uh, you're sitting in that second chair role. Uh, you and your senior pastor are getting ready to have a really critical meeting with the, the, the board or whatever the leadership team of your church is called. And, and something happens where the senior pastor has to be called out, isn't going to be able to attend the meeting. Say it's a, a, a family crisis. Sure. In, that, in that moment, your senior pastor has three choices. He can cancel the meeting. He can say, you know, we're, we're not going to be able to have this meeting. I've got this family crisis. Um, or he can look at you and say, okay, I, I want you to go on and lead this. Two choices, I guess. You, I want you to lead this meeting in my place. And they're only going to do that, assuming it's a really big meeting, if they really trust you that you would make the same decisions, not lead exactly the same way, mm-hmm. but that you would at least make the same kind of decisions that, the, that you would, that you can anticipate how they would react. And, and and not somehow use that as an opportunity to steer in a different direction. Right, right. Now, you know, look in your chops. Now I got my chance. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, Mike, that's a really good challenge for senior leaders because having sat in that chair for so long, uh, in the first few years of my leadership, I wouldn't say I would have had leaders that I felt could go and take my place. Now, over the last number of years, absolutely. I mean, leaders who aren't even next to me in the org chart, so to speak, you know, Mm -hmm. I can send an assistant to go speak for me and not just speak for me, but think for me. That's different. That's different. Right. And you're talking about that level of trust. I want you to think for me, not just speak for me and, and try to make the best decision available. Um, And I guess for senior leaders, a lot of that revolves around alignment. Like if you're not clear 
about where the organization is going, what our mission is, what our tone is, what our values are, then nobody's going to ever be able to do that for you because you've never been clear. You're asking them to read your mind. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly, yeah, yeah. Okay, so trust. Trust is really big. I derailed you there, but that, that, that was huge. What else would you say? So you have to be, and, and that is on the place of the second chair or the third chair or whatever to instill. Like trust is earned, right? So you have to be trustworthy. Absolutely. Yeah, you, you can't just sit there and say, you, you have to trust me until I prove otherwise. You really right. do need to earn it. Yeah. Okay. Um, you know, I think... In addition to that, uh, leading up well requires some courage. Um, mm. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, sometimes when you're leading up, you're saying the hard things that no one else wants to say. Right. Uh, and, and, and with that comes a lot of discernment. Uh, this is something I need to speak to, and this is something I've got to let go. I've, I've, I know I've, I've said a lot of times with second chair leaders, uh, you can't make everything a hill to die on because you'll mm-hmm. die pretty quickly if you do, <laughs> yeah, right? I mean, that's right. You're not going to last very long. Yeah, yeah. I mean, some things really are worth bringing up and 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 having those really hard conversations about. Some things are not. Uh, and so having the courage when you do need to and having the wisdom and discernment to know when you should and when you shouldn't. Right. No, that's good. That's good. So it's trust and confidence and so on. Tell me um, why you've written now two books on leading from the second chair, your most recent thriving and then the first one leading from the second chair. Yeah. So as I said a minute ago, the the first one really grew out of the conviction that Roger Patterson, my co-author and I had that there just were not resources available for second chair leaders. And we wanted to try to to, uh, provide some resource. And we said in that book, uh, we wanted to start a conversation. Uh, and and one of the opportunities that God has given me over the last decade since the earlier book came out was to have lots of those conversations mm. with second chair leaders, informal conversations, you know, responding to phone calls and emails, just like you do, I know, Carrie, and um, and some, you know, a number of formal coaching relationships. And what I realized a couple of years ago is that through all those conversations, I've learned a lot that I didn't get to say in the first book, things that I think can help second chair leaders to thrive. And in particular, I wrote this newest book, Thriving in the Second Chair, out of a pretty deep conviction that far too many second chair leaders are just surviving, but they're not Mm. really thriving in their role. That's based on what you've seen and who you've met. It's what I've seen and who I've met and who I've talked to. Yeah. Yeah. And and, and just for the church to be what God wants it to be, surviving's not enough. I mean, we need second chair leaders who are thriving. Wow. Okay. Well, let's... uh... (laughs) I, I want to drill down into that in just a second, but I talk to a lot of young leaders. I'm getting this question more and more. And if you're under 35, you feel like you need a, a personal platform. Like you've got a website under your name, Mike Bonham. You know, you've written books. Uh, you're on social media, et cetera, et cetera. And everyone says, uh, well, a lot of people think, man, I got to have a platform. And I think most of us instinctively want to be in that senior leader chair. Isn't the idea of being in the second chair maybe as a career or as a calling, is that antithetical to platform? Like, how, how do, what would you say to younger leaders who struggle with that? Because the struggle actually is very real for a lot of leaders. Sure. I, I think I would say three things. One is uh, it doesn't mean you don't have a platform. It means you have a different platform. Mm. And, I mean, you still have an opportunity to influence uh, other leaders uh, who are within your organization and beyond. And so it's just a different kind of platform than what you have in the first year. I think the second thing I would say is um, 
be a little bit less concerned about platform and a little bit more concerned about what God is calling you to do. And if second chair is something that you're passing through on the way to a first chair where you might have a bigger platform, so be it. But I've worked with uh, second chair leaders who were in the first chair for a season and they realize really my gifting and my calling places me best in a second chair role. And, and they found great energy, great excitement, great uh, sense of value and worth being in that in that second chair role, regardless of what kind of platform it gives them. And, and then the other thing I would say to it is, you know, particularly for those younger leaders, practice with a little platform right now and see what God might do with that on, on down the road. Uh, you yeah. Know, you may not have a big platform, but use what you have and then see see what God might want to do with that. Right. And if you steward what you have well now, you're likely to have more in the future. If you don't and you're just using it as a stepping stone, well, there may be nowhere to step to. Yeah. Almost everybody, I'd say probably the most common role in a second chair role in most churches today is the executive pastor role. And it used to be, as I talked with Dan Ryland earlier on this podcast about right. You know, it used to be only mega churches had an executive pastor. Now I talk to churches of like 200 people who have mega or, uh, you know, 200 people who have that chair role. Um, Any thoughts on sort of the demise of the old associate pastor role and the rise in almost every church setting of the executive pastor role? Oh, I have lots of thoughts about that. Go ahead. I'm in. I'm in. (laughs) You know, I still see a lot of people that have the associate pastor title and it's such a generic title. I think it can mean several things. One, it could, it can and often does mean this is somebody that's relatively young in ministry, and they're an apprentice. They're here to learn because they know that they're going to be moving on to, uh, to a, a, a senior pastor role. Sometimes in a really large church, it's more of a functional designation. You're the associate pastor for, and fill in the blank, for missions or for outreach, or the, you're the associate pastor for pastoral care. Uh, and it's just it's a recognition of, of the size of the church and that person's giftings. And sometimes mm-hmm. it really is more that general associate role. And I think it's that last category that has tended to morph into an executive pastor. Yeah. Um, the but to me, the, the, the true executive pastor role is distinct. It's someone who is or has the potential to be a partner with the senior pastor. It is mm-hmm. someone who's a generalist. It's someone who really is sharing the leadership burden and whose gifts are going to complement the senior pastor. And you don't always see that uh, in the associate pastor role. And, and, and then true. the other thing I would say, just to pick up on, on the last points you brought up, I do think that in some ways the executive pastor title, I, I won't say role, but the title at least, has become a bit trendy and faddish. Uh, and there's some real dangers in that. I mean, there's a, there's a danger with anything that becomes... Uh, too trendy. Is, Executive is sounds word. nicer than associate, doesn't it? It it does. It it sounds nicer, um, but you know, the, I think the biggest danger of it, Carrie, is when a senior pastor says, "Oh, my buddy down the street got one of those things, got one of those executive pastors, and I want <laughs> one too." Yeah. Uh, and you know, my buddy was telling me what you know how how much it helped him or to to have that executive pastor, and so. I want one of those. And you all of a sudden create this role or create this title without having really thought about what do I want? What does this mean for me? Because executive pastor roles are so different from one church to another. And a lot of it revolves around the needs of the church and the needs and the personality of the senior pastor. And so if you go grab somebody else's idea and somebody else's job description, chances are you're going to have a train wreck on down the road. A really good point. Where there is a true executive pastor role, in, in the sense that this is somebody in partnership with the senior leader, 
and you know, you're not teaching, you're not doing pastoral care, you're really running the church. One of the ways I see that is the person who's leading versus the people who's running, the person who's running. That can be a, a distinction. When sure. you think about reporting, often what gets a growing church into that scenario is the senior pastor, founding pastor, lead pastor has 10 direct reports, which is completely right. unsustainable. So now, you know, you're at the point where you got to bring somebody else in. And there seems to be a couple of models, one of which is that everybody reports through the executive pastor. And it's basically all roads point to that one person. And then the lead pastor has one direct report. Any thoughts on that or any danger in, in that kind of a model? Sure. And, and, and let me let me go back and say just a word to the senior pastors who are listening, who are still sitting there with eight or 10 direct reports, Carrie. Yeah. Uh, the reality is if you have on an organization chart, eight or 10 direct reports, you really have about 20 people that are reporting to you because you have different lay people who, who function in many ways like direct reports. If you think about how many different people you really need to relate to the way you relate yep. to direct reports, you take whoever's on staff and probably double that number. Because you're elders. Really, they're almost all yeah, direct reports, yeah. right? And, and, in a sense, I know they don't think of themselves as direct reports, and that's not the right language for it. But in terms of how much time you ought to yeah. be spending with them and, and investing in them, it's not different than the Bingo. people that are on the staff that report yep. to you. And so, you know, for the senior pastors out there that are thinking, well, I've got eight direct reports. That doesn't seem like an unmanageable number. It's because you also have all these other people you have to relate to. And oh, by the way, they expect really great sermons every week and all the other things that are expected. <laughs> and vision and go raise some money. Yep. Yeah, exactly. And so, so yeah, when, when you're sitting there, you need to find some way uh, to, to change the organization structure. Uh, and that's one of the things I've helped a lot of people with. So back to your question, the, the, the single executive pastor model with everybody reporting is certainly one of the uh, examples I've seen. I've seen a lot of other churches that are working with more of a team-based model where they will have an executive team. There's pros and cons with each of those, but you asked specifically about that that model with mm-hmm. a single executive pastor. And, you know, the danger of that is that the senior pastor just becomes too uh, too far removed from the rest yes. of what's going on in the life of the church. And That's what staff. I was driving at. Yep. Yeah, yeah. And, and you want to be really careful about that. Um I think the ways you overcome that, if it, it's not that, it, that that's a model that won't work. You just have to recognize what the dangers are. You overcome that by making sure the senior pastor stays involved in those key meetings with staff. You know, it, maybe you do, maybe you don't go to, to regular staff meetings. But gosh, if we're going to have a, a meeting, say, where we're thinking about whether we should launch a, a second campus, uh, senior pastor needs to be sitting in on that meeting. And, totally. and ra- rather than you know, telling the executive pastor, I want you to figure this out, meet with the staff and then bring their recommendation back to me. And all of a sudden now the executive pastor becomes, you know, the 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 pinch point for all decision making. Uh, yeah. The, the staff needs to hear from the executive, from the senior pastor on that. And the senior pastor needs to hear the input from the staff. Right. And I think that idea of isolation, the other thing I've seen numerous times is I have seen second chair leaders really relish the power and the influence they get a little bit too unhealthily. In other words, hey, I have his ear and you don't, so you come to me. Have you seen that happen? I have seen that happen sometimes. Of course, you you never like to see it, (laughs) Um, but but it does happen. The other thing that can sometimes uh, make it complicated, often makes it complicated actually, is um, in, in order to overcome that, then the senior pastor starts to create pathways for people to have to interact with uh, with him. Yep. Right. 
And that there's value in that until the senior pastor all of a sudden starts making decisions that the executive pastor is supposed to make and the executive pastor is left out of the loop. Yes. Right. And, and so, you mm-hmm. know, so, hey, Carrie, I know we've got an executive pastor, but I just have this great ministry idea that I want to run by you. And you hear it and you say, wow, that's a great idea. <laughs> and, you know, I'm, I'm down here doing youth ministry, pitching the idea to you. And I think you've just given me the green light. And the executive pastor is sitting out there in left field and has no idea that we just had this conversation. And what that does is that pushes the executive pastor then to say, well, I want to have tighter control. I want to make sure that they don't do these kind of yes. things. Uh, and so, you know, that's a that's a da- dance that the senior pastor and the executive pastor have to really work on together. Well, and that's one of those things that you said earlier. It's a team. Like, like if you're really going to have a second chair role and a first chair role that work, it is, it's almost like a mom and dad thing, right? We're not going to allow the kids to divide and conquer. Not that, you know, the rest of your team is kids, but... We can all relate to that as parents where, you know, I went to dad and he said it was okay. And, you know, that's just, that's a disaster parenting and it's, it's a disaster in leadership. Um, this is super helpful. So I want to get into, um, thriving. So you mentioned a number of keys. One of them is a partnership with the first chair, which we've kind of danced around for a little while. What are some keys to creating a great partnership? And is it even possible? Like, is it possible to just to create a, a stellar partnership? And where have you seen it work? And what are the keys? It's definitely possible. It's definitely not easy uh, to do it. And it definitely takes time. Uh, and so I'll, I'll unpack that a little bit more. Ultimately, uh, what I would say to any second chair leader is you can take steps to grow a partnership, but your first chair, your senior pastor is the one who gets to say yes or no to really having a partnership. Yeah. One of one of the keys is we've got to get our minds around what we mean by partnership. So, you know, it, it's one of those things uh, where if the first chair and the second chair just sit down and have a conversation and say, well, yeah, we should have a partnership. And then they walk away and don't talk about what does it mean? They're probably going to have problems down the mm-hmm. road um, because, you know, I think the the second chair hears that and often thinks, OK, that means. I'm going to be consulted on every decision, uh, and I will have almost an equal voice in all decisions. We'll we'll be as close as you can be to Mm co-equals. And, you know, the senior pastor says, okay, I've got somebody who I can trust and who I can unload stuff to, and that sounds like a partner to me. Wow, those definitions are really far apart, aren't they? Yeah. And and, and so having the conversation, what do we mean by partnership – and then the steps the second chair can take, part of it goes back to trust. I know I talked about that earlier, but how do you build trust with your senior pastor? How do you do um, beyond beyond trust as we talked about? It, how do you make sure that you're doing whatever you've been assigned to do with excellence? Uh, your partnership is tends to be a growing responsibility over time. But, you know, gosh, if I'm senior pastor and I give you something to do, and you decide it's beneath you or it's not really in your gift set or you just don't want to do it and you don't do it well, why on earth would I trust you and give you more to do, you know, to grow towards a partnership? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, those are a couple of things I think you do to, to build that partnership. Because trust is confidence at the end of the day. Yeah. That's what it is. Yeah. Let, me, let me go back to what you started with. So when it comes to a partnership, I know a lot of visionary senior leaders would be like, okay, we talked about it for 10 minutes. We have a partnership. I get that. Are you talking about like a written agreement? Are you no, talking not. about 10 meetings or like, is it an ongoing conversation? Is it like, how do you, how do you know? I mean, in law, that was my background, right? There's no contract right. unless there's offer and acceptance. You can have a beautifully 
beautifully crafted 10 page legal contract. And if I hand that to you, I'm like, I worked for 21 hours on this. It's not a contract unless you sign and, and it's accepted. That's offer and acceptance. And then there's consideration. Even that's why you see sometimes it's a dollar, right? But there has to be some consideration. There has to be something at stake. So what are, those are the defining characteristics of a legal contract at, at the base level. What are the defining characteristics of a partnership? Is it that you've just talked about it long enough that like, how do you get to the same page and the same understanding? I think it's a couple of conversations on the front end. It's definitely yeah. not a legal agreement. So, no, right. No, I mean, right. I, yeah. And, and I know you weren't suggesting that. Um, I think it's a couple of conversations on the front end about what do we mean by partnership? And then it's really living into it and being able to raise a flag on, on either side when it feels like we're not doing what we said we were going to do. It's, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's on the job. I mean, it's, it's real time. And so, uh, if, if we've agreed, uh, that as part of our partnership, we, re- we really want to work on, uh, making all of the strategic. So if, if I'm second chair and, uh, I think you've committed as my boss, as my senior pastor, that you'll talk to me before you make any st- big strategic decisions, right? We've talked about it, so we've at a conceptual level, and then all of a sudden you're with a couple of the elders, and uh, they pitch an idea to you, and you say, yeah, I think we ought to do that. Now I'm sitting here in the second chair, and I'm feeling like, wait a minute, he just made a decision without me. Now I can go and sulk. You know, I can take a legal approach and say, you violated our partnership, or I can just say, hey, talk to me about this. I thought that would have been a decision that we would have talked about before you said yes to it. Do you almost get some some new defaults where it's like, I'm not going to make a decision until I talk to X about it, plain and simple? Exactly. And, and you know, that I think that actually feeds into another part of having a great partnership. Second chair leaders need to be willing to forgive quickly when their first chair does something that, oh, that good. aggravates them or that they think is violating that agreement. And I'm putting air quotes on the word agreement right there. Um, you know, but but so, you know, senior pastor does something you think, well, you weren't supposed to do that. That was either my job or we were going to work on this together. You know, what am I going to do in that moment? Well, you need to for, you need to talk about it and you need to forgive quickly. Otherwise, you'll never sustain a partnership. Right. And, and what I'm hearing under what you're saying is unarticulated assumptions, right? Yeah. If there are unarticulated oh, yeah. assumptions, that's going to sink the ship every time. So what it sounds like for a partnership, maybe, maybe there is something in writing, maybe not. But, and I agree, it's certainly not a legal contract. But, I, but what I hear you saying is this isn't minutes of conversation. This is hours of conversation over time. Big investment yeah. up front. And then ten to fifteen minute dialogues on an ongoing basis until the rhythm is established. Yeah, and okay. and, and you know, for those who are, are just you know rolling their eyes right now and thinking I don't have hours for conversation, <laughs> it's hours in the conversation in in the context of leadership decisions. So it's it's not like okay, we've got to block out thirty minutes of our agenda today to talk about how we can be better partners. It's like okay, here's here's some things we've got to work on. How do we do that, you know, in, in light of, of partnership agreement or let's look retrospectively at something that just happened and figure out how we could have done it better, or how it might be creating some stress between us. Well, and if you don't have the time to do that now, just think about how much time a firing, a quitting and, you know, any oh, of yeah. that is going to cost you down the road a vacancy. It's going to be huge. That's it's then huge. you're spending yeah. days, weeks. Right. That's exactly it. right. Plus one or two sleepless nights probably on top of that. 
Okay. Um, you also talk about second chair. This is from sort of the ideas that you're floating a decade later in, in, in Thriving, that new book. Um, mm-hmm. You mentioned a second chair leader lifts the lids on their first chair's leadership. My first question is, how do you even have the conversation to say to the first chair leader? Because this is what's under the leading up thing. It's like, he doesn't see it. Like, he doesn't think he is the lid. He's the lid. He doesn't get it. Like, he's stifling the whole organization. How do you begin to have that conversation with your senior leader? Well, you know, the first thing I'm going to say goes back to what I've said a couple of times already. You have to build that bridge of trust. If right. it, you, you, you don't... You don't all of a sudden say, hey, I really need you to trust me because we're going to have a hard conversation now. If the trust wasn't there already, you can't really do that, have that kind of conversation. Right. And, you know, one of the little ways I think about it is if you imagine starting a conversation with your senior pastor by saying, hey, this is going to be a hard conversation, but I want you to trust me that I really am saying this for your own good and for the good of the organization and they immediately think, why on earth should I trust you in this conversation? You, you know, you can't have the rest of it, right? I mean, mm. it, it, that, that trust needs to have been there already where you could say something. Those aren't exactly the right words, but where you could say something like that and it would be heard with all the sincerity and, and authenticity that you intend for it to be heard. No, I want to get the toxicity out of this and then we'll go into yeah. the healthy relationship because I think one of the reasons I get the question so often and many other leaders get the question so often, Mike, is that these, you know, there are leaders who are like, my senior leader, these are second chair leaders, third chair leaders, my senior leader just doesn't tolerate any kind of criticism. He is just not open. He won't listen. He won't read. He, he, it's always difficult. You know, people don't come out of his office alive. You know, you hear that or, or it's just... So, and I know there's some senior leaders listening that their teams would say that about them. And I know there's a lot of second and third chair leaders listening going, that's my leader. Is that just a dead end? Like, in other words, you can't have a healthy second chair position with a leader that, that, that is that insecure or is that like, what's your advice into that situation? This will save you a bunch of emails after. (laughs) They're like, no, you didn't cover my leader. (laughs) So... And I could be dead wrong on this, Carrie. Yeah. My perspective is that the ones that are truly toxic, that are that are are that extreme, are a pretty small part of the bell curve of leadership. Okay. Gotcha. Uh, That's I mean, good yeah, to hear. Are, are they out there? Yes, absolutely. And and save yourself the email. I mean, if if, if yours is that far off the chart in terms of toxic and, and dysfunctional, I'm not sure that I have a great solution for you. What I want to, but what I want to suggest is that sometimes I hear that language from people, and when we peel the onion back a couple of layers, it's like, okay, maybe they're not that toxic after all. I mean, have you do have you shown enough that you care that they would actually listen to anything that you have to say? Uh, have you built That's that good. trust over time? And, and I and I want to get get beyond that because once you've done that, then. What I found is that once you build that trust, then sometimes those leaders will open up and they'll, you know, in in a private one on one conversation, if they trust that you're not going to take that conversation beyond the closed door, they might say, yeah, I'm feeling really insecure. I I don't know what the next step ought to be for our organization. And I'm the lead leader and I'm supposed to be casting vision and I'm scared because I don't know what we need to do now. Um, and what if they. If they trust you, they might have that conversation with you. Another way that you can start to lead up, I think, is not to so much go directly at here's your weakness that we need to fix, 
But talk about vision. Where where do you sense? Where do we sense that God is leading us as an organization, and what's holding us back? Mm. And then that may open the door for having some conversations about a number of factors. One of which may be that leader's weaknesses or shortcomings. So this this is really helpful because. I'm I'm encouraged to hear you say that too. That you think that's a small minority of people, and I wouldn't disagree. I think a lot of the times, like I think about my own journey as a leader, and there was definitely a season starting out where I was not very open to different points of view, and I think a lot of that was born out of insecurity. But you know, some prayer, some counseling, some good friends, some growth, some time. And now, like I, man, I value, crave feedback from my team. Mm-hmm. I don't always love to hear it because guess what? I'm a goof. I don't always get it right. You know, <laughs> I don't see it clearly. But my goodness, I've, I've, and, and so to any senior leaders who feel that wince of insecurity, I just promise you, keep pushing through it. God is in it. Listen, listen, listen. Take notes. Don't criticize. What are some other tips in terms of helping? Because this is one of your major premises. You know, my team has lifted the lid on my leadership significantly. What are some of the keys to doing that if you're in the second chair? Well, let me pick up on, uh, and I think this is a key, one of the things you just said. If you sense that one of the, one of the barriers to having the conversation is the leader's insecurity, then I think as a second chair, you have to ask yourself the question, what can I do to not add to that? What, what can I do so that, they, that my conversation won't make them in, more insecure? What, what is it about my presence that may be causing them to feel insecure? And, and a lot of times that comes down to they're afraid about, they're scared of what I'm going to do with that information after they confide in me or after we have this conversation. So how can, how can I help them to not be insecure about having the conversations that we need to have? So basically create a safe environment. Yeah. And I yeah. think that's key. It took me a while to figure out that, you know what, these people really do have my back. They really do love mm-hmm. me. And if I let them know what I'm really feeling, it's going to be okay. They're not going to fire yeah. me. They're not going to get rid of me. They actually love me. And, but that takes a while to figure out. Sure does. Yeah. And, and for, the, for the senior leaders that are hearing this, what I would say is, who, who do you feel like you could trust the most with that information? It may, may, not be, may or may not be the person sitting in a formal second chair role. And how can you take one little step? How can you just be a little bit more vulnerable with them? You don't have to just blurt everything out right away, but take a step and see what it feels like to you and see what they do with that information. That's good advice, you know, to take baby steps, to, to try yeah. a little bit. And, you know, I'm fortunate. I'm a leader who I feel like at our church and in the rest of my life, I've got people around me that know the whole story, and that is such a liberating way to live because you wake up every day and you're not really hiding anything. You know, it's like I could just be me and and um, learn and grow. Any other keys to leading, uh, lifting your senior leader's lids? That's what a good second chair person does. Yeah, I, you know, part of it is figuring out what is what is really a lid and what is just your own pet peeve. Uh, mm. so, you know, I mean, so I'm sitting in the second chair and, uh, I feel like my senior pastor has micromanaged me. Well, right. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to lift that lid right now, right? I'm going to go and have the conversation. Well, maybe I need to step back first and, and do a little bit of, uh, self-evaluation. Am I just super sensitive to that? Did I maybe have a previous boss who was a micromanager? And anytime somebody gives me, anytime my boss now gives me a suggestion, I kind of slap that label on them. Uh, because, I think what the senior pastor, what your first chair wants to know is that 
if you're going to come and offer that kind of, of critique, that kind of, of constructive feedback to them, this is something you've thought about, you've prayed about, and you really genuinely believe this is a big issue. They don't want you to just run to them with every little pet peeve that you have. Does that make sense? Right, right. No, that that that's good discretion. So using your discretion that way. Um, you also talk about a key to thriving. Like you can stay in that second chair for a long term. Don't see it just as a stepping stone. Um, you you mentioned partnership. You mentioned lifting the lids. You also talk about developing a staff because most executive pastor second chairs have staff oversight responsibility. Developing a staff with a future-oriented perspective. So when I see that, I think, okay, what you're talking about is the second chair is actually leading, not just managing. Yeah, I would say leading and coaching um, Mm. much more than managing. Uh, I think it's Jim Collins that said that when you have good people, they don't need to be managed. Yeah. Uh, and, And so, I mean, there is a management function often in the second chair. I mean, there are sometimes people who uh, maybe you made a bad hire or uh, they need more time to get up to speed, or maybe you inherited them when you stepped into the role. But you really uh, want to spend as much of your time, as, as you were saying, leading and coaching people as possible. And so it's it's bringing out the best in people. It's trying to help make sure that they understand what the vision is and what yeah. alignment looks like towards that vision, uh, because that's leading. Uh, and then trying to turn them loose to do it and being a resource for them to come back to and say, okay, here's something I'm struggling with. Can you help me figure this out? Um, yeah. Is that a tough move for senior leaders to make? Like, I know there are a lot of leaders who are probably right at that bubble where they realize I need a second chair. Because when your church is really small, you kind of run the whole thing, right? But yeah, then you sure. grow and you start to have staff and you go, okay, I need a second chair. What makes it easy for a senior leader to release that? Because I think a lot of senior leaders are, they think, no, I got to do all the leading and you guys will just manage what I built. What would you say? Unfortunately, I think a lot of times it's when the the senior pastor has some sort of meltdown moment where, uh, you know, they just say, I just can't do it anymore, right? right. So uh, the, the pain versus wisdom, in other words, pain forced yeah. me here, not wisdom. Yeah, and, and so for those, you know, for, for those that are listening that haven't had that meltdown moment yet, but you're starting to feel a little bit of the pressure, just realize that it's probably not going to get better for you unless you can start to offload some of those responsibilities and, and allow someone else to lead, lead more. You have to get your mind around the idea that the other person may not do it the same way that you would, and they may not even do it quite as well as you would, but uh, for your church or your ministry to grow, you've got to be willing to turn loose of some of that. And if they do it 85 or 90% as well as you would have, and then that frees you up to do the things that only you can do as the first chair leader, uh, ultimately that's going to serve the organization. It's going to serve the church or ministry far better. That's such a good point. And a lot of that is around clarity of vision, mission, and strategy too. If you're not clear, they're going to lead into the ditch or to a left turn, into, not intentionally, but just like, wow, that's not where I wanted it to go at all. But if you're not clear about where you want it to go or you don't know where you want it to go, then then that's an issue. That, that's that's such a huge point that I see an issue that I see in a lot of churches is, you know, that visionary leader uh, thinks that the, the vision is real clear and then wonders why people aren't moving in the right direction. And it's because they really, it's not because people are, are rebelling against them or trying to be difficult. It's that the vision's really not that clear. And so uh, an, an enormously important investment for first and second chair leaders 
is to come to that kind of clarity on the vision. And one of the great benefits that a second chair leader, I think, can bring to a first chair is if, if you're that second chair next to a, a highly visionary, big picture first chair leader, come along and help them unpack the vision. Push them hard uh, on what do you really mean by whatever that, that key statement is from the vision. What would that look like for us to live into this vision? If we do this, does that line up with what, you th- what you're thinking when you say the vision or not? And have a lot of those conversations because that then should do a couple of things. It should give the first chair, the senior pastor, more confidence to then step away and trust the second chair to, to then lead. Uh, and it should also give the second chair so much more clarity from which to lead. You know, that's a really good point. I think that's a gift that second chair leaders can give to senior leaders is sometimes we have a hard time because we live it. We breathe it. Like we wake up every day and it's so crystal clear in our mind. It's what, uh, you know, the Heath brothers call the curse of knowledge. You you think it's crystal clear. It's not. And maybe I love that point, Mike, that you're saying, hey, second leaders, maybe what you can do, go in and say, I want to write down some of the stuff that's in your head. Like just Let's try to give it shape together. Let's try to get it on paper. Because I know for me in this last year and a bit in this transition to me in the founding teaching pastor role, our greatest thing, I mean, other than the grace of God, is we have a crystal clear mission, vision, and strategy. And so it makes it really easy. It's not about us. It's just about the mission. And so I get to play a new role, and Jeff, the new lead pastor, gets to play his role. I think that was episode 110 or 111 on the podcast, if you want to go back. But you know, clarity of vision and clarity of strategy and values is, is so helpful. And you're right. Sometimes it's the second chair leader that can really extract that from the principal leader, and then everybody wins. You know, and and yeah. I think, Carrie, that, that, you know, just going back to what we talked about a minute ago about leading up and having those hard conversations, that's to me, is just another example of one of those hard conversations that doesn't have to be that hard. So you're the second chair trying to deal with the visionary pastor and you know, the, the leadership weakness is you're so high up in the clouds that we don't really know what we're supposed to be doing day in and day mm-hmm. out. And can you have that conversation in a way that's not, uh, you know, attacking and not confrontational? Yeah, absolutely. Please. You can go in and say, I, I love your vision, but I don't understand enough of it to be able to leave the staff well. Can you help me unpack that? I mean, that's that it, it's not an easy conversation necessarily, but you're not saying you're a deficient leader. You're just saying, help me to understand so that we can accomplish what God wants us to do. Let me bounce this idea off you. I've found when people are leading up to me, questions are always better than statements. Absolutely. So, you know, if you came into the office and said, Carrie, the vision isn't crystal clear, I think you need to write it down. I think we need to get it clear or the organization is not going to move forward. That sounds like work to me. You know, that sounds like, okay, I thought I was clear. But if you come in and you say, hey, Carrie, you know what? Uh, Question for you. What would you think if we spent some time together trying to define the vision of this a little bit more clearly. Would you be open to that? That yeah, feels I like an opportunity. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. And yeah. often tone can make a big difference. So uh, you also say, I want to get to a couple more points before we wrap up. Second chair organizes selectively to bring order into chaos. A thriving second chair resists the temptation to organize everything and focuses on the places where structure is most needed and valuable. One of the that that challenged me because I just thought, no, you're going to organize everything. Why selective order to chaos? Because if you try to organize everything, you will absolutely kill yourself and kill the organization. <laughs> okay. uh, I mean that that that's the simple answer. Uh, you know, churches are 
and I wrote that out of a perspective that uh, a lot of churches will have either that person who comes into the second chair role or maybe someone who sits on the elder board that, that brings kind of a, a big corporate mindset with all the rules and the structure. And they think, well, that's what we need to do. And we're not that big as a church. We, we don't have, you know, a five person staff just to be our human resources function to make sure that we follow all the rules and all the, you know, all the dot, all the I's and cross all the T's. And if we try to act like that, what we do is we squelch creativity. We kill the, we honestly can kill the movement of the Holy spirit in the church. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and we spend all of our time kind of following bureaucratic rules. And so what, what I'm trying to say in, in, uh, in that chapter of the book and that practice for thriving second chair leaders is don't try to do it all because you'll you'll become hated and you'll end up hating yourself because yeah. you're you're so frustrated with it, right? Um, but figure out what are the things that if they were just organized a little bit better would really help you to move move towards your mission. What what helps to advance the ball and focus on that? That's where you need to organize. Typically, what would be two or three of those things in the average church that just, man, if you could just organize these, everything would go forward? Because I agree, the 700-page human resources manuals, total waste of time. Well, I mean, just just think about everything related to personnel. And there's some things, and, and this is like midsize or larger church, right, that has at least, you know, three or four people on staff. Um, do you need the big manual? Probably not. I would borrow one from the church down the street and just, <laughs> and, you know, tweak it a little bit uh, rather than spending hours on it. Uh, but would a better hiring practice make a difference for you? Yeah, it would make a huge difference. Uh, you know, spend the extra time trying to, to develop a good practice for hiring people and screening them so that you have a better than, than average uh, chance of getting a great new person on staff. That's worth organizing well. Uh, or... Or you know, you know, maybe refining the the form that you have for uh, employee evaluations is not that valuable for you. But making sure you have a good process where you're giving feedback that helps people to grow, more of that mm-hmm. coaching development mindset, that's enormously valuable for you. So ultimately, I think that a lot of the places where I would see organizing selectively having value relate to personnel and then relate to alignment around the vision. Uh, and so. You know, if you don't have some sort of process in place that says, here's how here's here's how we roll from vision into some specific plans. Here's how we decide what the priorities are for our different ministries. That's a place that I would say chances are if you would put some energy into getting that better organized, better structured, it's going to bear a lot of fruit in your church. You know, I'm glad you used that example of even hiring because earlier today when we're recording this podcast... Uh, my blog and podcast are growing, and so I'm building a small team. And I actually did a personnel interview. Like I, I did an interview for the first time in years um, to like hire somebody. And and in the middle of the interview, I'm thinking, man, I'm terrible at this. Like I haven't done this in years and years at our church. And now we have processes, and I don't think I could get hired by our church anymore. It's a good <laughs> thing I started it because I'd fail all the interviews. But like a lot of us who are visionary entrepreneurial types, we're just not good at that stuff. And that, that's a, that's a really good example. Let's talk about governance because um, yeah. you you say that's really important. What are a couple of benchmark rules for the second chair and governance? Because you know, in some models, like in our model, it all goes through the lead pastor, and you can get invited to meet, but you know, there's no reach around to uh, you know an elder can't go directly to the youth pastor. So because because then you start to undermine you know right. reporting chains, et cetera, et cetera. So what would you say about governance? 
So uh, that particular practice was really written uh, with the uh, general associate or executive pastor in mind, where in many cases they are going to need to interact with whatever governance body or bodies exist in the church. Uh, what, what I find is that uh, there's a level of detail that sometimes those boards and committees will, that the, the, particularly the visionary senior pastor doesn't have a command of, and that's okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then you bring in the second chair. So we really want to take a, a, a deeper dive in understanding the budget of the church. And the senior pastor says, look, that's just not my gift. That's not what I spend my time on. But, but, you know, the executive pastor is going to be there. And so the executive pastor participates in one or multiple meetings. And, and the, one of the key practices is, or points on that, is the senior pastor and the executive pastor have to stay incredibly well aligned when they're with those groups. My, my feeling on, on that is that, you know, little places where we disagree behind closed doors are not a big deal between a first chair and a second chair leader. But if those get exposed, particularly around those governance bodies, those little tiny cracks can become huge gaps that can end up uh, unintentionally creating division in the church. Yeah, you know, it's a really good, I love what you're saying there, because it's a really good leadership development program too. Before Jeff Brody was the lead pastor of Connexus for three years, I think he came to virtually every elders meeting and he was in charge of the budget and I put him in charge of the building project and the whole deal. And we were basically a tandem team. He was there as an invited guest, but every meeting I invited him. And then last year when he became the lead pastor, you know, for him to run the elders was, there was an adjustment, but it wasn't that hard because he'd been through three years of meetings and he was already, they, he had a relationship with them, the whole deal. So it was very easy. It's a good leadership development approach, but it was pretty clear that the lines of accountability still came through me when I was in that. Yeah, seat. sure. You, you need to be clear about what those lines are. And, and there are some churches that will have that those lines, at least for certain things, will go through an executive pastor. And, and that's yeah. okay too, as long as it's clear. As long as it's clear. Uh, yeah. And as long as the senior pastor and, and second chair are staying on the same page. That's good. Anything else uh, that you can think of that we haven't touched on for second chair leaders, Mike? Gosh, I, I, I would hate to end without saying at least uh, two more things that I think are just vital for second chair leaders. One is um, one of the uh, moments that really catalyzed this book for me, this new book for me, was when I realized how isolated and how lonely a lot of second chair leaders are. Um, because one of the greatest tension points for second chair leaders is often something that's not quite right in their relationship with their senior pastor. So who do you go to in that moment? Well, we just talked about it. You need to not go to the board and complain to them. That, that's horrible. Um, you're trying to work it out with your senior pastor, but you're still having a hard time. You need to not go and talk to your staff about it. That's, that's not going to be good, <laughs> right? You don't just go and talk to a random person in the church. So who do you go to? And your well, wife's gosh, tired of hearing about it. Yeah, your wife's tired of hearing <laughs> about it. And, and so... And oh, by the way, I haven't developed relationships with anybody else. And so now what do I do? I'm isolated. And, and so, you know, building some sort of community uh, where you can really uh, have people who will understand who you are and the kind of challenges that you have in that second chair role, I think is, is vital. Uh, and then the other one is that I think is a close companion to that is, set, is the importance of staying spiritually grounded in the yeah. second chair. Uh and in particular, I mean, it's true for any of us in ministry, right? I, I, but one of the things that happens with second chair leaders is a lot of times they're doing their work behind the scenes. They, they don't have that platform. They don't have a place that gives them a lot of affirmation. They may not be preaching at all, or if they do, they preach rarely. Uh, and so 
you because we're all human, we want some sense of affirmation. We want to know we're doing a good job. And, and yet second chair leaders kind of say, I'm not sure where I'm going to get that from. And I don't have an easy answer for that. And there's a couple of tips in the book. But ultimately, for me, it comes down to our main identity has to be found in Christ. And that's where we need to look for our affirmation. Well, that's good. That's great, man. Hey, Mike, people are going to want to connect with you and find out more. Tell us a little bit online. The book, by the way, is called Thriving in the Second Chair. We'll link to it in the show notes and everything. And it is widely available. Yeah. And and the easiest way to just connect with me is through my website, which is mikebonham.com. M-I-K-E-B-O-N-E-M. Okay. That's great. Mike, thank you so much. All right. Thank you, Carrie. It's great to be with you. Well, I hope you found that helpful. I know I did. Whether you're a senior leader, whether you are not the senior leader, man, we all need to do a better job understanding and and, and leading each other, don't we? Hey, if you want more, just jump into the show notes. It's kerryneuhoff.com slash episode 126. And that's where you'll find the show notes. Also, if you're like, how do you spell Kerry Newhoff? Just go to leadlikeneverbefore.com, click on blog, and you'll see all the recent podcasts there in the list. So you can find the show notes there. Uh, also, want to thank Belay and Trained Up for their partnership in the podcast today and making sure that you get this and continue to get this for free. And speaking of free, have you subscribed yet? Because we do bonus episodes from time to time. I'm due for a couple of Ask Carries. It's been a while, so time to jump back into that. And you never know when they're going to show up. But if you subscribe, you do, because it just comes to your phone or whatever device you prefer uh, anytime. And so anytime we release a new one, which is every Tuesday in the odd bonus episode, you'll get it automatically and for free. We are on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio. And thank you to everybody for leaving ratings and reviews. So appreciate it. Hey, Canadian Church Leaders, have you registered yet? CanadianChurchLeadersConference.com. Super excited to bring you that in June. And remember, you'll get the best rates for a couple more days. The super early bird rate is available until February 10th. Hey, thanks, everybody. I am super excited to come back next week. And guess who my guest is? A good friend of yours and of mine, Mark Batterson, is back. And about six months ago, he released a new book, and he talks all about chasing down your dreams without fear. I mean, you ever you ever find that fear is a big issue in your relationship, not only with God, but also in your leadership? Uh, Mark has done some really courageous things. We're going to sit down with Mark Batterson, also sports fan Jason Romano, a producer with ESPN. Scott Sauls is coming. Uh, Kyle Eidelman is due on the show. I have a fascinating conversation with Greg Atkinson and with so many more. Super excited for that. So we're back next Tuesday with a fresh episode. Thanks for listening. And I really do hope our time together today has helped you lead like never before. You've been listening to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast. Join us next time for more insights on leadership, change, and personal growth to help you lead like never before.